Hello, welcome to Utabia. Stephen Chicken here, David Hartrick, and Jim Chisholm joining me. Jim, we've not seen you for a while. How have you been? I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, taking up baking, airfix modelling, all the productive things. What have you made on airfix? Any Star Trek stuff? Yeah, Enterprise B, classic. John Harriman <laughs> as captain. Excellent, Dave. Have you ever done any modelling? Uh, yeah, well, just catwalk. <laughs> classic. <laughs> And how have you been, Dave Hartrick? Uh, absolutely fine. I've spent a lot of time getting to know my PlayStation 4. Um, and we knew each other pretty well anyway, to be honest with you. But I, I think now we're actually best friends. It's good to see some positives coming out of the lockdown. Mm. Good to see. So, a few weeks ago, we did the reasons to be positive about Huddersfield Town and the season that they've had. Because we felt like when the lockdown started, you needed a bit of a, a pick-me-up, lift everyone's spirits. We've now decided, no, we've had enough of that. Let's uh, let's have a good old moan instead. So, having done the positives, we're now going to look at some of the sort of the, the negatives and disappointments of Huddersfield Town's 2019-20 season, whether it's over or not. This will be a, a triple episode. <laughs> <laughs> Three-hour special. Um, yeah, so I'll go to you first of all, Jim. What are the things that you were most looking forward to at the start of this season that, that just weren't delivered on? Um, immediately, I was looking forward to winning games because if you remember, that was uh, something that we didn't do for large periods of uh, the, the previous season and uh, took a while for that dream to be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, that, was ge- that was genuinely, I want to see goals and I want to see wins and I want to see a stadium bouncing and all that kind of stuff. And there, there have been periodic moments where that's happened, but not anywhere near as much as I'd assumed there would be. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, eight games without a win at the start of the season. It's a very obvious point, but it is one that I think it's worth bearing in mind, isn't it, Dave? Yeah, I, I think, we, if you remember, the three of us did the season preview show, um, and we all sat there actually like remarkably positive about things really we we were all like Jim said we're all looking forward to you'd not seen town win had you Steve in a very real sense Um, and we were all looking forward to seeing what Jan could do and a few new faces and there was I think we were we were really quite optimistic going into the season but the problem was that the the nature of that derby game the first game really did prick so many balloons (laughs) all in one go Going two nil down would like I think it was about thirty five minutes gone of the season. I I remember just sitting there, you know, sitting there with you, Steve, and just feeling the the ground sag, just feeling mm. the crowd sag, you know, like thirty minutes into a season, and it was, yeah, it, it, straight away it made me realise I think all the things I'd thought about and all the targets I'd perhaps set in my own mind. Uh, everything needed to be altered really which 30 minutes into a season is probably not really what where you want to be is it well this is it i mean it's easy to forget now and and we always sort of maintained it was completely a complete irrelevance at the time but town were undefeated in pre-season and you know things started looked to be coming together the the mood in austria seemed to be uh very positive and upbeat Perhaps I was a bit naive because it was my first pre-season tour. I don't know what the mood should be like. Um, perhaps, you know, <laughs> I should, should have asked more questions at that. But they're obviously always going to say, oh, yeah, we're feeling good. We're glad to be back, blah, 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 blah. But as you say, I mean, it just, it was apparent from sort of day one. We did a poll at the end of last season. What do you think of Jan Siva? And there were, there was a contingent, I think about 15% of fans said he's not up to the job get rid but most of the fans said no give him a chance you can't judge him on what's happened in the Premier League but unfortunately as you say after what was it three league games four four games total um, the decision was made and and it was the right decision it's a shame it didn't work out wasn't it Jim? Yeah definitely I still think he was slightly hard done by which is a a dwindling opinion um you know i, I think not was, on this pod i think me and steve would actually yeah, probably true. agree with you but look i think i think he was thrown into an impossible situation in the premier league where no one bar uh, an 
survival expert would have would have done anything and those survival experts who we know of your allardices etc wouldn't have touched bear the girls. job bear grills <laughs> yeah, all your classics they wouldn't have touched the job with a badge pole anyway because they were getting absolutely no money we got you know jason punching on loan inherited a dressing room that had um a lot of tension a lot of conflict and a lack of motivation um and so going into going into the season you know three games okay four with the linking game which was poor but i don't know you know i understand why he went and in in hindsight it was the right decision but i still felt at the time that he, I, I don't know like the fulham game for me was i was sat there and i i got to watch it in in the posh seats for my sins so for the first time in a long while i got to actually see a live game and and follow it and it was quite clear that Jan hadn't set up to play with no structure, to play mm. in a lackadaisical manner, mm. lethargic, etc. He couldn't have control over the fact that when Bakuna, you know, like played 85% of his balls to the opposition, it really did feel like then that certain players really wanted to get him sacked. And so it was a terrible, terrible start to the season. But um, I think blame has to be apportioned equally among different constituents I think Janino Bakuna probably takes us on to, to the next thing which is the the player that that you've been most disappointed with because although he's picked up since then Dave at the start of the season Janino Bakuna we were so excited about seeing him and he just didn't turn up did he no I I think it's we should make the caveat right from the off that, that there were we believe a few personal reasons as to why his head wasn't where it perhaps where it needed to be, and then when he's come back into the team, he's done well. But he was so far off the place, like Jim says in that that Fulham game, he was, you know, he really was uh, way way off it. But I I I think in terms of like actual just pure disappointment, I know this is mad to say about a player who literally played sixty minutes of football, but I think. I was really excited that Town got Reese Brown, um, mm. and I, I, it's somebody I've seen a little bit of, and who I know there's a player there. And I mean, you only you only have to. I I can't go into some aspects of one of my jobs, but I can tell you for definite that that really really good clubs have been getting data on him and his scouting reports for a long time. So I really was quite excited that town signed him um mm. i know he's had his problems in the past uh in terms of his attitude in training etc but he came on in that lincoln game he was played out of position um and that lincoln game was just a, a disaster but when town had all those problems at number 10 with no pritchard mm. they were having to try o'brien there they're having to put bakuna there um, you know, at one point it felt like everybody was getting ten minutes there just to see what they could do. They even had a behind closed doors game, didn't they, where they basically rotated about six players through the number ten role just to see who could, who could yeah, do. Yeah, I think a job. Isaac and Benza played there, and yeah, yeah. Um, and for for all of that to happen, and for Brown nil, still not to get a chance, then there's clearly something we don't know about there in in terms of attitude potentially and. You know the the thing about Backer is he he's got all the talent in the world, so you know you sort of always knew he was going to come back into form. Whereas Brown, you know, like we don't know whether this season's going to be ended or not, but I can't see him in a town shirt. You know, I can't ever see him in a town shirt again, which is is remarkable, really. When I thought he was genuinely going to be not necessarily a star, but I thought he was going to feature in. 20 to 25 games this season comfortably yeah i looked back at our sort of pre-season preview um not the podcast but the written version and yeah we asked people who are you excited to see which signing do you think is the best signing and quite a few people had reese brown in there mm. he showed glimpses in in pre-season that he you know he was capable of, of picking a pass it's quite evident that that there's been some issue with him whether that's and Danny Cowley says it, it's basically it's down to the physical side. He wasn't ready for the physical demands of the championship. Um, and he's been farmed out to Peterborough, who they their intention was to sign him at the end of the season, uh, having been there on loan. So 
as you say, the fact that they didn't, they were crying out for the number 10, Danny Cowley was so desperate to play that 4-2-3-1. He had an injury crisis and yet Bruce Brown didn't get anywhere near getting a look in, sort of suggests that something, there's something there that yeah. behind the scenes that, that we don't know about. But there we go. Jim, any players for you that, that you've been particularly disappointed by this season? Um, where do you start? Uh, start <laughs> starting eleven in most games, to be honest. No, um, I, I think the likes of Diakabi and Benza. There's no point going over all that again. We're we're very poor considering the amount of money we'd signed them for. Um, yeah, Reese Brown, but wasn't too disappointed because as we discussed on on previous pods, when you're signing players <clears throat> from League Two or League One and they're going up to the competitive level of the championship, it, it can be hit and miss. So mm, I didn't know what fair. to I didn't know what to expect from Karoma or Reese Brown. So if they'd have turned out good, that would have been a bonus. But just the usual suspects really who who we all know who they are. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean Josh Karoma, I think not in the same boat because oh, there's a know, player he, there. He he yeah. will he will play for town next season, I think, and he, he you know he will be given a decent run, I think, Karoma. But Brown is is gone. Yeah, the, the, exactly. The, I mean, Brown was in that same boat as as Congolo and Mbenza and uh, and Diakabi. So yeah, but Karoma, I know they they think he's got a, there's a player there. I mean, Danny Cowley said that his finishing ability is is as good as Carlin Grant's, which for a player you know who's come from the national league is. Is quite a compliment. Um, the one thing I would say with Karoma is that he's gone on loan to Rotherham and he's not played very much. He hasn't started a game for them yet. Um, so I think if and when the season does resume or when we get into next season, he needs to you know try and he's going to be frustrated if he keeps getting time off the bench. He needs to get some starts and show what he can do. Really, mm. I would say, but he's still a young player, um, and you know. As we've said, playing ahead of him in his position is Carlin Grant at the moment. So it's not really any slight on him that he's he wasn't able to get a look in at town. And from what Phil Hodgkinson says, he was always signed as one for the future anyway. Um, worth mentioning Herbert Bockhorn as well, who despite yeah. having no impact whatsoever, still has a fantastic name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not great when your manager is saying they feel sorry for a player. I think it was apparent that he was signed basically on Jan Sievert's recommendation, um, but that he's just not capable of, of playing at this level, unfortunately, which is a shame. But he's not, you know, he's 24. He's not exactly a kid at the no. moment. So if he's not going to be doing it now, then it's it's never going to happen, is it? So I know they were trying to get him out in January out of the club and try and find a loan or a permanent move for him, possibly back to Germany, um, and no one came in for him. So... Yeah, it's uh, a very mixed to mixed to poor, you would say, the summer recruitment, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I was looking back on it before we before we did the the pod, and I the caveat I would make to that, and I don't want to be seen to be defending town all the time, but yeah, there the recruitment wasn't great, but there was a huge number of bodies who they had to get not 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 get out of the club, but there was a huge number of bodies who left the club. Um, yeah. you know they lost a lot of experience and they lost they they lost twofold really because they lost players out of the first team like Lovra, um and Lossall um, even Billing you know even though that was ended in acrimony but they also lost players out of the squad so it's very very difficult to recruit for both um, mm. and it was you you saw you've seen in January what it's like to have a very very good window, but you can only really have that window after you've you've gone through the pain of a uh, not a bad one but one where you just feel like you're just watching people walk out the door on an almost daily basis. The thing I would say is that I think we get drawn into looking at transfer windows only in terms of who leaves the club uh, sorry who comes into the club and I think sometimes you've got to look at the business you do in terms of getting players out and it's been proved that you know there was a lot of people saying they, we should have kept you know Danny Williams because he could have done a job it's been proved that wouldn't be the case Tommy mm. Smith is is not 
doing particularly well at Stoke, for instance. Mm. Uh, they they shifted a lot of players out and got that wage bill down to somewhere like, and they got at the end of the day they got good money for certain players as well. So it wasn't completely disastrous from that point of view, but it was just I mean it was it was always going to be. Some of the, the the best sort of recruitment agents at clubs in world football would have had a lot on their plate that summer with Huddersfield Town, to say the yeah, least. Yeah, I mean, didn't even mention Aaron Moy there, Tommy Smith, Zanka, you know, uh, Rajiv Van Lepara, Lauren De Poitra, Yeah, all went out. You know, Jack Payne, Eric. Durham. I, th- I think the, yeah. the the other side of the coin is that you know that was foreseeable. It wasn't only foreseeable; it was very clear from the proclamations coming out directly from the club mm-hmm. that this was the strategy that we wanted yeah. to get rid of these people that we needed mm-hmm. to get the wage bill down so if you're going to do that then you have to have a plan not to replace them like for like but to make sure that you have a bit of squad depth and also you bring in players that are competitive at this level and by that i mean yeah. that they're proven to be competitive at this level i think if you look at the players that go out and you look at the players come in by the time that the summer transfer window has finished, probably with the exception of Fraser Campbell, I think was a very astute signing. It, it was really poor. They I mean, really. If you, look, they, if you look at that team on paper, is it any wonder that, okay, they sank like a stone, perhaps we couldn't have expected that, but come on. Is it any wonder? They I really you break into song there. I was. That one of the, the, the thing is that like I come back to two players that me and, me and Steve... At the end, we did several podcasts around that, and at the end of that summer transfer window, we neither of us could believe that they hadn't gone and got a right back. So you had this situation mm. where you had a few weeks before Danny Simpson eventually comes in and makes a massive difference. But yeah, that but, was after the Cowleys game. In yeah, I mean that that was a crazy decision not to not to even just get a body there, mm. just get a body who can play in that role. But then the other one was they they were absolutely crying out. I know they had to give Dear Carby a chance, but they were absolutely crying out for uh, an attacking player with a little bit of experience and a little bit of maybe championship knowledge. Now, I know Willock hasn't got that, but if you look at what Willock's done to that side since he's come in and he's just changed the shape of the attack um, before we talk about Smithrow or anyone else... If they, they were just there were two key areas there that yeah you cannot argue that they just didn't recruit properly in and it and it cost them particularly in that first run of games under Jan where mm-hmm. I mean clueless is too strong a word but they just look they just had no edge to them at all no yeah. cutting edge whatsoever. Well, I think I mean you mentioned quite rightly Danny Simpson there. Obviously, left back was underfilled as well because yeah. you had Terence they they were counting on Terence Kingolo who I mean it it seems like he doesn't particularly want to play for Huddersfield Town at this level um he's now gone gone to Fulham uh, but he, he, he either way was not a left back uh, and it's strange I know he was the record signing and perhaps they were waiting for someone to come in and bid for him but it's strange that they started with him as as first choice left back without thinking should we go and get you know, a proper overlapping mm. left back like they eventually did with Harry Toffolo. I think it the did, other thing. Sorry, go, on. go on. I think in the club's defence, it was a transition period, not just in terms of the ownership and a lot of players going out who'd been the the bedrock and the spine of that team mm. throughout the past two three years, but also if you look at in terms of director of football, backroom staff. Yeah. yeah all this kind of stuff and a lot of things had to be done in a very short space of time with a certain level of uncertainty probably from from funding Mm. right down to who you needed to be in place so it was just a really unfortunate six months yeah but you you look at it to like to to not to labor the point but phil hodgkinson's going to take over that then gets delayed because he's got to go through his FA hearing. It gets delayed again because the National League start mucking about about they don't like how he's structured 
you know the the chap who bought his stake in Southport off. So you've got all of that. Dean Hoyle, we know, wasn't a hundred percent. You had other members of staff leaving. You had people in the dressing room who quite clearly were were not happy to be there. And you know what happens in WhatsApp groups, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Then you have the Paddy Power hand grenade chucked mm. in, which, while you can say it doesn't affect first team players specifically there is it affects the optic of players looking at your club for one thing and the other thing was it's just a massive wave of negative press you know Mm. that everybody in the club has to deal with it was just an incredibly tough summer and the problem was the respite from that was supposed to be the season starting and being able to play football again and getting a teeth into being a football club but then you keep losing so that all that happens is it's been an incredibly tough summer and as the games tick by one by one the situation just feels worse and worse and worse and worse you know it feels like it's doubling week on week so I think you've got to look at them pulling the plug on Jan and getting the Cowleys in and what has happened since then I mean it's it's pretty remarkable turnaround because bear in mind you're almost writing the season off before Christmas it's pretty remarkable that the Cowleys came in, put that seven-game run together, and that Town have managed to get themselves to a position where they're likely going to finish the season still as a championship club from where they were. This is it. I mean, the recruitment is a difficult one because, well, just to go back to, to, to what I was going to say, on the theme of Danny Simpson, it's bizarre also that they didn't get Fraser Campbell in until after the transfer window mm. closed. I suspect there that they needed Aaron Moy to get off the wage bill before they could pull the trigger on that. But you've ended up then with a player who had been out of contract all summer, who then didn't have a pre-season and hasn't been able to, has barely, barely been able to play 90 minutes all season as a result. And you wonder what a fully fit Fraser Campbell might have been, whether he might have been capable of more. The other thing is that in the summer they were massively hamstrung by the fact that that £11 million deal for Isaac and Benza, reported £11 million, had already been struck um, before they even go into the window and work out what they need to do. They're already on the hook for by far their biggest transfer of the window. That's most of their transfer budget for the summer gone on one player from a deal that had been agreed in advance. It's difficult to assess the recruitment team because they have clearly made errors like that um, but then they've also signed Carlin Grant for £2 million and they've had the January window that they've just had with you know Harry Toffolo for something like half a million we believe and you know bringing Jonas Lerzel back in, getting in Chris Willock, Emil Smith-Rowe um, I mean, you know, it's, it's the mirror image isn't it? Yeah, yeah completely yeah, so you know I think it's I think it's right to look at the, the players that have flopped, I mean every, every transfer is a risk and I think it's right to look at the players that have fl- flopped and ask why were they signed in the first place? But then you also have to, if you're going to do that, you also have to sort of give the credit where it's due. But I think you're right about the, the youth. I mean, the the only player they had at the start of the season who was over 30 was Jonathan Hogg yeah. uh, and Tommy and Tommy Elphick. Those, those are the only ones, which is crazy. Yeah, you you need... The Championship is, a is a, like we've talked about it before, it's a bit of a bear pit, and I do think you need um, a sort of mix of both youth and experience heads to carry the the youth through various games and when it gets tough and at the start of the season when particularly after that Fulham game you mentioned Jim they they went to Cardiff and tried to rouse themselves and lost again and then Mm. there was that home game against Reading um, with Hudson in charge where they tried everything they could for like 50 minutes and they actually looked a bit better and then on 55 minutes, she realised, oh, hang on, they've got absolutely nothing left in the tank. Whereas a little bit of experience would have, a little bit of game management would have just helped them through that a bit better. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was, they, they came into the season off balance and then obviously that just carried on. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned two of the games then, maybe we should talk about the games where you were most disappointed. Jim, I presume Fulham is up there. Were there any others that particularly stand out as 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 disappointments for you? Oh yeah, quite a lot. Um yeah. <laughs> one that really sticks out is Lincoln I just thought was quite funny, to be honest. Um <laughs> it was the first time I'd been in the North Stand Up a tier as well, which is quite a novelty. Uh, 
losing to Leeds twice, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to pretend that I'm above it all, that I'm a mm-hmm. superior human being. Hate, hate it when that happens. Uh, the Stoke game was just... Uh, what happened there is beyond yeah. me. Yeah, that was crazy. And, and Brist- Bristol City as well away. I think we lost... The 2 5 twos, The 2 yeah. five twos. I suppose the one with Bristol City away... There was an explanation, wasn't there? Kelly comes out, he essentially says there's a few bad apples and they're not going to play again, and they don't. Mm. And then there's a period of stabilisation. The the thing with Stoke was it just seemed to come out of nowhere. Yeah, they'd just had... I mean, they were sort of up and down in going into the Stoke game. They, they were good against Forest. This was a period where they had a good game, then a bad game, then a good game, mm. then a bad game, because they were decent against Charlton, got the result. Should have won against Wigan and didn't. Beat Forest and played well. Lost to Middlesbrough on Boxing Day. Beat Blackburn and then came came up against Stoke and they just got absolutely bullied. It was it was. I think Cowley was right when he came out afterwards and said that was basically all of our problems that we've had this season, sort of coming back again. They just allowed. I mean, it was uh, Sam Vokes up front, wasn't it, for Stoke? Absolutely bullied. Not just John Stankovic, but also Christopher Schindler. Any long balls over the top, they just didn't know what to do. They were letting them bounce. They were not challenging for headers. Camille Grabara comes off his line to come to the edge of the box and make a punch that he doesn't have to make. It was just everything just seemed to fall apart all at once. I, again, not to defend them though, but it was they were really struggling squad wise at that point. They, they really were. were thin, and that was their. I think it was their eighth game in four weeks, mm. and it just felt like everything caught up with them at once and the weird thing about that Stoke game that it's easy to forget is they were they were 1-0 down and not in the game they came out after half time and actually looked all right and got themselves 2-1 up I mean yeah, two goals what, in two minutes wasn't it yeah and it was just such a collapse from that point it was just mm. weird the Bristol City game I think in contrast was just a blight a horror show if we're yeah. honest, it was it, everything that could go wrong went wrong in that game, and the fact that straight after that game you've got players who are, you know, your manager is saying they are not going to feature for us probably tells you all you need to know about that game, really. But I think the other one I wanted to mention was the Barnsley away, yeah, lose, losing two one there. Um, when everything seemed to be set fair for Town to to get something out of that game. Um, it, that to me was was really disappointing because it pulled Town back down into a situation they had managed to escape from, not yeah. fully, but they they had clear daylight, and it was the nature of that Barnsley defeat as well. In that that the first half was, I mean, it was pretty shocking. Really, Town just couldn't get into any rhythm. I think the difference with this with the Bristol City game was that. Town came out after half time of that Barnsley game and they actually played pretty well. You know, they, they went for it and they didn't do bad at all. But that was just one of them games that I'd almost uh written down as a as an away banker, the rarest yeah. of things, you know. I thought Town would definitely win that game. And it, it, it's easy it's easy to forget now, but we were genuinely over Christmas and sort of towards the end of twenty nineteen talking about, Oh, could they they're not too far off the playoffs? You know, could could they? They're only going to get better from here. Could they make a charge? And obviously, then the Stoke and Barnsley games come back to back with Southampton in the middle. But no one cares about that. Um, and completely, as you say, blows the season to to shreds again. I mean, I think this this kind of period encapsulates the entire season because you've had long periods of mediocrity, occasionally punctuated by dazzling brilliance and sheer incompetence and more of the latter than the former yeah and that's just these five six games at that period just it's emblematic of that and that's not what anyone expected i think if if you go back we were talking about you know i was genuinely thinking well you could push for the playoffs and, and everybody was quite optimistic and as this is a pod we're very cathartic by the way this sheer wall of negativity <laughs> um but you know you have to remember that we come down from the Premier League and 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 people had expected us to be competitive and and we haven't really been competitive in in any kind of consistent way. Even you know that period when the Cowleys came in and stabilised the ship, it was very much a ship that was stabilising. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't you know going onto the high seas and and doing donuts. So mm-hmm. is that what how boats work? 
The thing it's worth remembering is it's not even like the fans came into the season expecting to get automatic promotion again. I don't think anyone expected anything other than, oh, it'd be nice to, to push for the playoffs. Mm. I think everyone expected a mid-table finish. Yeah. And that probably is where they should have been, in all honesty. If they'd been, if they'd been even with all the squad problems and things like that, you know, we can't talk about this season without talking about the fact that it's been acknowledged by people at the club that the squad wasn't fit at the start of the season yeah. and whatever you say about Jan and, and you know we stuck up for him and all of that but if you've not got your squad fit for the start of the season then that's you've done 90% of your job wrong unfortunately you're on the back foot particularly and, and when just... particularly when I think um, in this league uh, more than the Premier League being able to have a margin on fitness goes a very very long way yeah massive yeah. massive when you're playing Tuesday, Saturday, you know, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. It does make a massive. It's it's. I hate to mention them, but mm. it's one of the key things Leeds have got right this season. Their yeah. conditioning has been far better. So they at the turn of the year, they weren't all breathing out their bums. To be frank, yeah, so, which they were last season, which yeah. again sort of shows the importance of it. That was what was so stark with that Reading game for me that mm. Hudson was in charge and they, they looked a lot better and they looked like they were on the front foot and the crowd was up for it. And then, yeah, like 50, 55 minutes in, you had players who every time the ball went dead were literally having to give themselves five seconds bent over to catch their breath. And you think, mm. uh, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> You're a professional athlete. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, like five minutes to go, fair enough. But on the hour... Unless you're coming back from injury and you're, you know, you're trying to get back to fitness, like what was it? I don't know, six, seven games into the season, there is no way you should be running out of juice on the hour no. in I a home game. You what, know, it was. Whew. What I think what made that jarring is that we'd come to expect under under Wagner that we would be the fittest, we would run the hardest, we would last yeah. the longest, and, yeah. and I think that's what made that really jarring but you've got to remember that that was that was unusual um in all of my years watching Huddersfield Town I, I can always remember as you know struggling and you remember when we had that midfield of of Clayton and, and Norwood and it would get to like yeah 50 minutes and they'd just be dead on their feet um and so I think in a way under Wagner in, in so many ways we've just been spoiled and I think when you've been spoiled for so long and then all of a sudden it, it's ch- it changes, you know. You're not getting like your extra portion of, of ice cream every, every um, dessert. It's a bit yeah. like, oh, well, well, this is a bit... And it's, it's even as well as like getting used to having the ball. Town fans really struggled to adjust to that idea that possession is a good thing. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and I think just towards the end of Wagner's tenure, people had, had come around to that idea. And then all of a sudden, you know, Undeceiver, it was even though he wanted to play this consistent 4-3-3, he didn't know where the personnel fit into that system. And we struggled to keep the ball. And then even under the Cowleys, although I think the Cowleys do like to have the ball, but just for the first sort of 10 games, they weren't really in a position where that was a, a, ta- a tactic that, that would help us. Um, I think people were a bit annoyed about that as well. It was like, we're unfit. We can't keep the ball. You know what? What yeah. can what can we do? And, and thankfully, that that um, trend and that perception has, has probably turned one eighty now. One of the things I talked about at the time that was, I think it's worth while we're going down this avenue of misery and revisiting all these things. <laughs> Boulevard of so broken bad, dreams. And we and we talked about this after the derby game. One of the things that was really stark and really worrying literally 90 minutes into the season and I remember me saying this to you on the night Steve as well as us talking about in the podcast is all Derby were doing were just playing straight balls forward yeah. and Town were really struggling with it and you realise that in the Premier League they were so used to losing possession and then being able to reset because a Premier League team is comfortable going backwards or going out to a fullback to set themselves and then come and attack you and pick you off Mm-hmm. that Town had, had almost defaulted to just assuming they were going to get those couple of seconds to get in position. So yeah. 
as soon as they lost possession and then somebody just hits a long straight ball forward, it was like they'd lost their... It would, it, the only way I can describe it is that it's like they'd lost the basics of the game. It was like, right, we've, we, we've got to work out how to do the real simple, the sort of essence of football again. And that was really worrying early on. And that, that Fulham game you talked about, Jim, was almost a distillation of all of that where... They they were frightened out of possession. They were even more scared in it, and they they just didn't they didn't know how to hurt teams. They didn't know how to defend properly. And the other side of all of this, I think it's worth mentioning. It took a while for them to get used to championship referees again. Yeah, there was there was an awful lot of expecting decisions, which I'm not saying they definitely would have got in the Premier League, but they would have had a fair shout at. It it literally took them. I don't know, 10, 12 games to get used to the fact that A, they could go in a little bit harder than they were used to themselves, but B, other people could go in a little bit harder on them as well. Um, it was just it was just that, that first 10 games of the season was just a culmination of like all these problems just coming home in one foul swoop, you know? Mm, yeah, definitely. I mean, the positive is, well, in fact... I'll let you guys talk on this. For all the negatives that we've talked about, and I think probably it's fair to say the last sort of bad game that we talked about there, and there have been bad games since then, I'm thinking of Swansea in particular and, and Cardiff, um, the, the Cardiff home game, the 3-0, and the, the 3-1 against away to Swansea, which was especially disappointing. But other than that, the, the last sort of bad game we talked about was Barnsley, which is before all those new signings came in in January. That was the last game that they played with the without any new signings. Mm. Do you think Town have learnt from these mistakes and are now moving in the right direction? Uh, and to what extent is that true? Is there still more to do? I'll go to you first, Jim. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite obvious from January that we learnt from the mistakes in, in terms of recruitment we learned from the mistake of perhaps appointing someone like Jan who was you know inexperienced in men's football in general mm. I think um, and we, we, we did the thing where we, we, we went for the, the two managers that I think every other championship club who was looking around wanted Sheffield Wednesday for example so that's yeah. two you know massive massive lessons learned in, on top of that we were very quick with in mid-season, um, addressing another director of football situation, but but at least that's addressed. At least you know going forward, we know what's happening. And yeah, I mean, what can you say? We 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 started looking like a football team. Beating Bristol was good. You know, the Charlton game, where where wherever that came from, I'd like to see more of that. But I, I just think that the Cowleys know what they want. There's a structure around them. That, that seems to be geared towards giving them what they want. You know, ne- next season, I, I think there'll be far, far more positives than, than there are negatives, um, all dependent on our global pandemic. Town are definitely going in the right direction, but there's still, uh, I think there's still problems in the squad. This... Whenever this summer, in inverted commas, happens, and by summer I mean the end of this season, Town have got a real issue with the actual personnel they've got left with some contracts coming to an end and loan players going back. So they've got another massive recruitment drive coming and not a very easy one to perform in truth. So there's that side of things. But the the Cowleys, for all the good work they've done, they've got to find a way for Town to be consistent because it's not just about it's not about winning every game but it's some of the variation literally from week to week in town season is like absolutely crazy yeah. crazy and i mean even since the cowlers have been there yeah the, the even Swans- since the new signings have been there yeah and, you the, know we mentioned we mentioned they've gone from that that qpr routine win at home to then losing three nil at home to cardiff four days later yeah they the Losing to Swansea in the manner they did, and then mm. completely outplaying Bristol City three days later, and they yeah. won that game two one. But I mean, like the XG on the night was just crazy, wasn't it, Steve? It yeah, was... you could you could basically switch the the score lines of the Charlton and Bristol games. Really, should have been the other way around. Yeah, on balance of play. 
Um, you know, and then they follow it up with a four 0 The Leeds game I'm going to mention because I I just I just know it winds some people up, but. <laughs> The, I was, the thing I about was the, our WhatsApp group, I was I was close to being banned from our WhatsApp chopper. <laughs> I think I think the thing about the Leeds game is that realistically, it was a performance of like everything Town want to be ultimately under the Cowleys, which is high energy, real cutting edge. Um, from Leeds, you mean? Yeah, from Leeds. You know, a, a, a very very good bench, couple of real individuals who can hurt you. And it made you realise that Town has still got a long way to go. I mean, they are undoubtedly on the right path and they have undoubtedly got the right management team in place. And I think off the pitch as well, it would be fair to say that things now seem... We don't know whether Devlin's going to be there long term, but he, he certainly is treating the role, I think it would be fair to say, as a permanent thing um, yeah, from I his think early this, approach. I think despite interim being in his title, I think the assumption is that he... Will stay longer term, yeah. And yeah, it's. I think there's lots of positive signs, but I. I think it's. I think there's a. There's still quite a long way to go, and certainly, whenever we come to preview next season, you know, probably 2023 at this rate, I will certainly be holding back an awful lot more than I did this season, despite things being a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I think that the. The unfortunate thing is is the wider context and, and football is, you know, number one thousand three hundred and sixty five on, on the list of things that are important mm. in that wider context. But no matter what anybody tells you, particularly in English football at the moment, nobody has a clue what is gonna happen. Either in terms of will this season be played out? If it's if it's not, how will the positions be allocated? Will there be promotion, relegation? The only countries that know what's going to happen are those like Belgium, the Netherlands and France where the government has stepped in and made yeah. the, the decision for Our them. The government's although, not going to do that. Yeah, although even in, no. even in France there's there's still a lot of horse trading to be done around what actually, we, we know the, the season has ended but what happens to allocation of, of places and all this kind of stuff. The other problem is that, you know, which... I've said for years and years and years on this podcast and elsewhere that, that football is quite obviously a bubble and it's going to pop. Didn't expect mm. it to be a pandemic that's affecting the rest of the <laughs> wide, wider economy that pops it, but in terms of wages and agents' fees and all this kind of stuff, a lot of football clubs, even in this division in the championship, are really over-leveraged. And if it comes to points where um, wages aren't deferred or the TV money is in question or we the season next season is pushed back any further a lot of clubs are going to go bankrupt in this league in league one in league two and actually probably the longer it goes on in the premier league as well dependent on what if there's some kind of football wide bailout or you know intervention from the the government we we don't know i think football is going to look a, a lot different i mean i know that that's like a like a truism right what's the point of even saying it but i think Things like the European Super League will probably move forward on the timeline of, of when they were going to occur. What I will say is positive about that is, you know, Town are, are pretty well managed in, in terms of finances. Mm. And I think, you know, another thing, a positive thing, the Cowleys strike me as the kind of people that this kind of um, enforced sabbatical, they will use it. Yeah. Now, I think a lot of other managers won't use it as effectively as they will. I, I think, in a way, this is the kind of perfect kind of space for them to think about ideas, to watch players and <laughs> games, and, and then think, you know, when it gets to the point of implementing them, I think we'll benefit greatly from that in a way that other clubs won't. I'm, sp I'm sitting here smiling, Jim, because I've said this to Chicken twice. I think there's a world where Town actually come out the other side of this. Not... I don't think anyone's going to come out the other side of this better off. But it's but all I relative, think, isn't it? I think there's a world where Town come out of the other side of this and are better placed than a lot of teams around them that I I think they would have had to have worked a lot harder to catch. Now, I'm not saying they're suddenly going to turn into a promotion team or anything like that, but I mean, even in terms of the recruitment, they're going to have to have a major recruitment drive this summer. The simple reality is transfer fees are A, going to be a lot lower and B, in some cases, non-existent because there is going to be a whole tranche of very, very good players who are going to be out of contract, some through choice, some not. And 
at, at a period like this, you're exactly right. The way the Cowleys work, the way their recruitment team they've brought in their scouts uh, work, and hopefully they can work alongside Town's existing team there efficiently to use this time. You know, I, I think you're exactly right, Jim. Now, I nobody can guarantee anything. There's no point sitting here and saying, "Oh, Town will have come out of this with a full squad and come out of the traps roaring whenever next season is." But I do think if you look at Town's situation compared to at least a third of the Championship, I would much rather be a Huddersfield Town fan than say a Charlton Athletic fan at the moment, who I think this very morning have, have managed to receive a, a bailout to keep them going for a few more weeks. That is how tenuous the situation is for a lot of clubs. And mm. and I think, I think, Dave, as well, that's the, you know, there's always been criticism. In the short term, Town's caution looks far too conservative. It looks like we're not, mm. you know, we're not competing. In many ways, kind of, we've all levelled that, criticism in in some shape or form though not in the extreme form it often takes on say social media around investment you know players out players in all this kind of stuff but in the long term that kind of stewardship under Hoyle and now under Hodgkinson it it, it could end up looking like inspired genius Mm, yeah it's we just don't know that's the thing we just don't know but I I just I'm not as down on town from that point of view as as one or two are and i know i know steve you're very very cautious about that and i completely understand that and i mean you have to put things into print often and i would never put anything like that into print but yeah it's like globally it's going to be an interesting six months and if them and in the microclimate that is football jim's exactly right it's going to look very very different and huddersfield town are going to look very very different and may actually look slightly better off than they were weirdly yeah i mean this was a question you say i haven't put it in print i kind of have someone asked it in a q a last week and yeah I, i i do agree with you i think having even though even despite you know, the fact that, that a chunk of it's going to, to Dean Hoyle as loan repayments, um, the fact that they're getting parachute payments for a start is is worth so much to them um, that, that other clubs just don't have. It's so vital at, at this time. And that doesn't mean that they're going to go out and spend, um, you know, the remainder of that parachute payment on players, but it means that they've just got that little bit more stability than Being than able clubs. to keep what you've got is going to yeah. go a long way. That's how yeah. weird this situation is. I think just yeah. being able to hold on to, to what you've got is going to help. <laughs> in the in yeah. the medium term, I think there are there are certain risks um, that could be bad that that could come down on town worse than other clubs. Um, you know, you've all already seen a kind of lifting of many of the financial fair play restrictions. My my concern in my concern in in this period for football and again it is a minor concern compared to all the other concerns that we all have for friends and family and jobs and etc um is that certain precedents may be set in in extraordinary times and that precedent might be lifting the 3 p.m blanket ban on Mm. uh, the broadcast of games at one end to Mm -hmm. champions league and europa league games being played on weekends at another to perhaps at another end the dismantling ostensibly temporarily of the financial fair play infrastructure i don't think any of those things that are dismantled or lifted or um taken away will be put back in afterwards um mm. and i think that there is a risk that there is the utopian kind of ideal that we come out of this and we all realize what's important and we all realize that football should be a a more level playing field and that financial fair play should be enforced because look at what's happened to all these clubs who didn't really, you know, yeah. hem to it. But the other salary the, caps and exactly yeah. now, um, that's I imagine what we, we would all lean towards. But the other very real option and danger, in my opinion, is that those inequities that have developed in football only become worse on one end with, say, something like the development of a Super League, but on the other end the watering down of the pretty tame regulations that we already have in place. Fun. <laughs> Cheers for that, Jim. <laughs> it's okay. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm here. I'm, I'm here whenever you need No, you're, you're, you're quite right, though. And, I mean, the other thing is it could just go back to how it was, exactly how it was before. Um, 
I don't. I genuinely like. I know we're wrapping up, but I genuinely don't think it can because I mean, even as even as a Brighton fan, if like if my club furloughed staff and said it was going mm. to be really really tough, and then went and spent twenty two million pound on a striker this summer, whenever that summer is, <laughs> I'd 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 be raging genuinely genuinely. So I I don't think things can look the same. We'll yeah. see. We will. Right, thank you both for joining me today. I hope you enjoy the rest of your days. Do you either of you have anything to plug while we're at the end of the podcast, Jim? Um, not, 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 not massively. No. Um, I mean, if it's been a pretty negative podcast, which I suppose people don't like in terms of news coverage now. So, <laughs> if you would like to send any abuse in my direction, my Twitter handle is at Michael Gove. <laughs> There is, um, and if you don't like the negatives, then you can go back and listen to the reasons to be cheerful about Huddersfield Town podcast that we did a few weeks ago. Dave, any uh, any plugs? Yeah, I I would like to plug a product that I genuinely enjoy, and that's the Cadbury's Whisper. Mm. Excellent. Good choice. We, uh, other chocolate bars are available. No, they're not as good. So. <laughs> I would like to give a quick plug to the 2.6 challenge, which the, the Town Foundation are doing. Um, so they, the, you may be aware of the 2.6 challenge already. The idea is that it's a nationwide campaign raising funds for a variety of charities. The idea being there has been no London Marathon this year, which means that about £60 million worth of sponsorship has gone down the toilet. Uh, for Town as well, without Pedal for Pounds, they have a bit of a funding shortfall to make up for all the great work that the the Town Foundation do. Uh, if you Google Town Foundation 2.6 challenge, you'll get details, but the idea is that you challenge yourself to say, walk 2.6 miles or do 26 keepy uppies, which I know a lot of town players mm-hmm. have been doing or whatever it might be. Uh, and then you can, uh, you get sponsorship to do that. So yeah, if you, as I say, if you Google um, the details for that. It's uh, the 2.6 Challenge Town Foundation. You'll get the details of that. Can I can I just say you've reminded me that there's definitely something I should plug, which is the uh, HGSA and Cowshed Loyal COVID-19 Crisis Fund for the Welcome Centre, which for obvious reasons has seen its donations drop by 50% and its referrals increase by 50%. Um, a lot of people are struggling out there. Uh, we set a target to raise a thousand pounds um we've met we've met that target gone beyond it we want to keep going so if you go in any of the cowshed loyal or htsa social media channels you'll, you'll find a link to that there fantastic right then thanks again for joining us and we will see you next time on utabia goodbye goodbye see you there utabia, 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 utabia.